Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kowaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On this week's episode, we recap all the action from the first week of the JLT One Day Cup. And here to do that is the world's most prolific ODI fast bowl in 2016, John Hastings. G'day, Hasto. Sam, how are we, mate? It's nice to be on again. A couple of weeks in a row, so yeah, I know, mate. back bit of, to back. Bit of continuity now, it's good. There was uh, um, a lot of positive feedback for you last week on the Twitter spheres, Instagrams, uh, Facebooks, good. everywhere. It was just said, get the Duke back. <laughs> so by popular demand, you are here. Um, you're in the com box for Fox Cricket, doing yeah. a couple of JLT Cup games. What's that been like? It's been excellent. It's a great experience. It's um, it's something that I've always um, dreamt of, to be honest. As a kid, it was like. You know, the baggy green was there, and you always wanted to do that. But I also loved listening to Richie Benno, Bill Laurie, uh, Tony Gregg, these sorts of guys. So to get an opportunity to do it was fantastic. Uh, I was pretty nervous to start with in the morning. Um, I think my interviewing techniques need a bit of work, so you might be able to help me in that that uh, space, mate. But, yeah, it was good. All in all, a really good day. I got sort of into the groove uh, later on in the day, and I enjoyed it. So Richie had the two for 22, marvellous. You know, Bill and Tony fought it with each other. What's yeah. your trademark? What's your signature? Oh, I don't think I've figured it out yet. <laughs> we'll have to, um, I've got another seven games to go, so hopefully I can nail down um, I don't know, a bit of rhythm, I guess. Mm. Um, so instead of charging in and getting bowling rhythm, I need some commentary rhythm. <laughs> now, you were in the box yesterday with, or on Monday with, Alan Border, Andrew Simons, Brendan Julian. Uh, what was it like? commentating alongside Alan Border, the godfather of Australian cricket. Oh, he certainly is that, uh, Sammy. He's, he's an absolute legend. Um, he's got so much respect in around the circles in Australian cricket, and he's really the man that um, everyone looks up to, even from, from the older eras as well. Um, so to sit next to him and just listen and learn and uh, hear hear all his thoughts were, were very it was very very good. Um, you know, I had to pinch myself at times because I think Andrew Simons is one of the funniest blokes on the planet as well. So <laughs> I would have liked a little bit more time off air to spend with Roy, but hopefully in the next couple of weeks we can have a bit of a chat. I'm sure you'll spend plenty of t- off air time with uh, Andrew Simons <laughs> in the yeah. next couple of weeks. Yep, I think you're right. Is Alan Border one of the guys that you rarely question? I know with Ricky Ponting, he's almost always right. Is Alan Border pretty similar? Yeah, Rick's uh, Rick's another one of those guys. I think you know those two, uh, Steve War. When you put those guys all all together in a room, I think there wouldn't be too too many other people uh, speaking. That's for sure. But I think Alan Border is definitely one of those guys that if AB speaks, you, you listen, sort of thing. So um, he's been around for a very long time, but he's he's. His, his view on cricket and particularly Australian cricket is, is second to none. So it was awesome to sit next to him yesterday and, and learn and listen often. It was, it was very good. 
All right, well, let's go through the tournament so far. We're a week in. Uh, let's talk about some of the standout performers and performances. We'll go right back to the start of the first game, and Glenn Maxwell, uh, brushing off the disappointment of being overlooked for that Pakistan Test Series, went out there in tough conditions, got 80, uh, and was a backbone of a match-winning total for the Victorians. He was, and I think it was a very good rearguard action from him as well. He, he has a habit of doing that. I've played in a few times with him when he's come back from a dis- selection disappointment or some, some bad publicity or you know he's, he's been dropped for some reason down the batting order or whatever it was, and he's come back out and uh, made a, a very strong statement that he's here to play. I think when he, he does play his best cricket when his back's against the wall. You know, there's no doubting his talent. He's, he's a freak in my book, um, but... It was nice to see him get some runs, uh, and it was nice to see see them, you know, go well as well. And on the bowling front, Will Sutherland, the mini Duke, I think he's been dubbed by some people <laughs> in the media. Uh, five for forty-five, and he's had a good season as well. Picked up more wickets in later games. He just seems to be going from strength to strength. Yeah, he's he's been impressive. Um, they tell me he can whack it as well with the bat. He hits the ball very hard. So um, we saw him. Just clear the rope a little bit yesterday. He didn't quite get hold of him, but uh, what a start to the career! To the career, his career. Sorry, he's having. Um, I think he's got thirteen odd wickets now already, uh, and picking up wickets regularly. He got one first ball of his spell uh, yesterday. So when you can do that, if you have a knack of taking wickets, that's uh, very good. It's, you, you almost demand selection. You know, the, the captain will throw the ball. So. Mini, mini Duke, I don't know about that one. He's got a lot more hair than I do, as I said last week, I think. But um, I caught up with him after the game yesterday, um, and he was he was good. He was he seems like he's got his head switched on, and um, he knows exactly the areas that he needs to improve on. Um, he's very fit and strong, so hopefully he stays on the park with young bowlers. That's I think that's the the biggest issue is just having them stay on the park, having them healthy, but. Um, having an appetite to learn as well is very crucial as a young young quick. So he's certainly got that. I guess it's just the volume, isn't it? Being able to bowl consistently, not only in the nets, but in match match situations and in matches itself. Uh, to be able to do that is the only way you're going to get better, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's hard because you, on one hand, as a young kid, you want to sort of protect them, but you need to be able to, be able to bowl to learn your craft as well. So there's a fine line between getting the balance right in in going out there and just bowling and playing practice games and um, you know sort of not bowling enough. So I think he's he's got it right at the moment. Hopefully you know that that sort of continues for him and he can get a real good crack at um, having having a good summer for Victoria. He's certainly started well. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll watch this space, I guess. I probably only came in uh, in your the back half of your career. But you know, 15 years ago, there wasn't really much talk about bowling loads and set bowling, set number of deliveries in each net session. I imagine it would have just been you're going to bowl for two hours and then hang up the spikes and go and have a bat or something like that. Do you reckon it might hinder bowlers moving forward that they only get to bowl eight overs or six overs in the nets, whereas in the past they'd be able to just fill their boots with as many deliveries as they can? Yeah, I, I was definitely one of those ones that sort of benefited from having a lot of bowling. Um and that, to, to be honest, that probably hurt me a little bit in the long run. My body wasn't really cut out for being a fast bowler. There's a few injuries along the way. But I always found that just having good rhythm and having confidence, um, drawing that from the nets was a good thing for me. So I sort of didn't worry too much about the parameters that were set for me about bowling workloads. Um, so I think each case is individually different. And I think that's a really big thing with fast bowling is that James Pattinson is going to be different to... Nathan Coulter-Nile to Cummins to Hazelwood. So 
I think every case is different and should be treated that way. Um, but I certainly think there's there's benefit in both. But for me, it was always about trying to just get that get as much confidence and as much bowling under my belt as I could, and and really be confident in what I'm going to deliver in match day. Speaking about James Pattinson, it was rumours that he, oh, well, there was talk earlier in the season that he might be able to play for this tournament, play in this tournament. Doesn't look like it's the case. Do you know where he's at? No, I don't think he's right for this tournament. Um, he was flying. Uh, he was going really well. Um, I speak to him regularly. I think he's he's back running and he's doing pretty well. He had a tiny little groin, I think it was, a little groin hiccup. Um, but his back is, is really good, which is the positive. Yeah. Um, so he, he'll he'll keep, continue. I think he'll play a couple of games for Danny Nong leading into the Shield season and may, maybe be ready to go sort of around that second and third Shield game, I think, is what they're, what they're hoping. Um, and it's certainly what I'm hoping to see from him as well. I mean, at the end of the day, if he is delayed a little bit, then um, so be it. But uh, I think him up and firing and healthy um, for the next five years, hopefully, um, his back holds up and, um, you know, he's really happy. He's just had a little... Little baby girl as well, so um, little Isla Pattinson has arrived a little bit early. So, um, but that she's healthy and um, at home now, so that's that's a really good thing as well for him that he's got going on. Can't wait to see him back from one fast bowl to another. Daniel Sams, he's been the real breakout star for the Blues. He uh, that first game he got sixty two against Western Australia, and he also took three for forty six. He was man of the match in a losing side. A uh, fantastic performer. Hey, so what do you like about him? I mean, he's he's one of these guys that's come in and worked his way up through Premier Cricket, through Second Eleven Cricket, through the Big Bash, and now he's making his Blues debuts. One game away from getting a Blues contract. Left armour, swings it, lots of variations, and can smash a huge ball too. Yeah, absolutely. He hit a couple of big ones into the fig tree yesterday. Um, I, I like these type of guys. I, I love the guys that have done a lot of hard work and know their game inside and out when they get a chance. I think they're, they're the sort of guys that you... You look to and go, okay, this guy's come in, he's taken his chance, he's ready, he's played a lot of cricket, um, albeit not at the highest level, but he's played a lot of first-grade cricket uh, for Randy Peets, I think it is. and um, Yeah, he's <laughs> leading run scorer at the moment for the Blues, um, so that's probably something that they need to look at. But I'm impressed by him. He hits, hits a long ball, he's got a good swing, um, and speaking of swing, he swings the ball as well into the right-handed batsman as a left-arm bowler, and he's got some really, really good skills. Executes his Yorker well. Uh, and he's got those probably two or three different types of slow ball deliveries that he calls upon at any stage. So I've been very impressed by him you know, in the in the early games of the JLT. Do you think a left armer, a left arm fast bowler, has to have the prerequisite of being able to swing the ball back into the right hand? It doesn't seem like it's the, people don't criticise right armers if they can't do it, but left armers always feels like they have to be able to swing the ball into the into the right hand at batsman. I mean, Mitch Johnson was criticised throughout his career for not being able to do it. Never mind that he could bowl 150 kilometres and have a bouncer that nobody could see. But he was exactly. always there. Always criticised him about not standing the seam up. Do you think mm. left armers um, somewhat unfairly treated in that respect? Yeah, it's it's an interesting debate, isn't it? It's, a, it's an interesting topic because, as you said, the the right arm bowlers, if you don't sort of swing it, no, no one really says too much. But yeah, you're right. If a, if a left arm bowler is seen to not be able to bring the ball back to the right hander, it's almost oh, well, we can we, you know we've got. Other right arm options, so but no one um, ever criticised Glenn McGrath. For not no, being that's able to right. Early in his career, he could, but yeah. towards the back end, didn't yeah, swing it that's much. That's right. No, he, he could also, you know, he could drop it on a five cent piece. At, at he Rose had other World. skills as well. <laughs> he, didn't he? he had other skills, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's an interesting debate, and it's one that um, I don't know. I, I, I would, I don't think it matters uh, if they can't bring the ball back as long as they 
as we said, have other skills. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting debate, that one. In that game, uh, Sam's debut, uh, Ashton Turner got 70 or 55 balls. Hey, so he's been around the T20 setup for the Australians, but he looks like a player with a very bright future. He's still only young. He's captain over there with Mitch Martz out of the side over there in, Pac- uh, in the UAE against uh, Pakistan. But you'd have to think if he has a good Shield season, he's going to be putting his name up right there in front of the selectors' eyes. Yeah, you would certainly think that. Going back a few years ago when he first came into the scene, I played uh, you know, quite a few games against him um, regularly, and he had a bit of an issue with the short ball. Well, something that we certainly tried to target with was the short ball at him, but now he's gone away and worked on it extremely hard, and you can see it in his game that he's just got so much confidence. I think his stroke play, he's always been able to hit down the ground and, and very well off the front foot, but he's added that back foot play to his game that's really brought him on um, and now you, you add the leadership in there as well he seems to have taken to that really well he doesn't really phase him too much and you know, they're playing some really good cricket uh, and he's playing some really good cricket so I think, you, I think you're right Fez I think if he goes through this summer and has a really good summer he certainly fits that mould of what I think the Australian cricket team is looking for in sort of discipline and, and that type of person that we need to to, to move our our team and our country forward, so I'm looking for a big one from him. He would have probably played more international cricket last year if he didn't hurt his shoulder, too. He couldn't really throw, could he? So he might have been yeah, exactly. there or thereabouts. Uh, mm-hmm. Your mate, Matty Wade, 117, the game against the Vicks. Yeah. He uh, put his old teammates to the sword a bit, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he's, he's always had a habit of that. Even when he was playing against Tasmania, he used to uh, love going back and, and, and just showing reasons why he should have been you know, still there or whatever. So, rap to see him get some runs. I still think he's the best um, keeper batsman uh, in, our, in our country. So, you'd have to think that his name would be mentioned heavily when it's coming into white ball tournaments, a couple of World Cups next year. So, you would think if he's scoring runs regularly you know, at the start of this summer, then um, he'd still be a chance for that sort of thing. And I still think he... He believes strongly that his game's in a really good spot. Um, he's, he's, his body's still good, and he's absolutely whacking them. What did you make of his comments about wanting to go to the World Cup as uh, the wicketkeeper? Because, as you said, he's in great nick, and he's um, one of the best wicketkeeper batters in the country. But he also said that he's thinking about giving away the clubs for the Red Bull stuff for Sheffield Shield cricket. What did you make of those comments? Knowing Wadey, it doesn't surprise me. He loves running around in the field. I wouldn't surprise me if you see him bowl as well. He loves. There was he actually one, bowls pretty quick, doesn't he? Does there was he get a, around one thirty? Well, he used to have a competition in the nets. If you get you out, you know, it was your shout for lunch and a few beers <laughs> um, or, or something like that. But we played a game up at the Wacker, and I think, uh, sorry, at the Gabba against Queensland, and Joe Burns was on about one hundred and fifty, I think, at that stage, and the second new ball was due. Um, we lost a quick, and Wadey goes, oh. Stuff this. I'm going to show you blokes how to do it. He took the second new ball, and I think it was second or third ball, he got Joe Burns caught and, caught and bowled, <laughs> charged in. He goes, see, how easy is it? And uh, gave us a bit of a spray after that, and then he, I think he only bowled one over. He goes, see, got the breakthrough, and then put the keeping gloves back on. So, um, so he yeah, might be an all-rounder. He might be an all-rounder. You never know. <laughs> I, I wouldn't wouldn't put it past him. He can he can do a lot of things, Matty. But um, he's always been capable with the bat. I remember talking to Shane Warne maybe five years ago, BBLO two, I reckon. And he thought that Wade in the test side as a wicketkeeper should be batting at three. And Warne is a pretty good judge of character, and he yep. wanted him up there that high in the batting order. Yeah, he he certainly um, he's well. 
put it this way, he's a guy that if I had a guy that could bat for my life, it'd be Matt Wade. He's, I've seen him play some some serious knocks when the team needs it under pressure. Um, as far as his glove work, he's copped a little bit of criticism over the years, but I still think he's batting. If he did maybe give away the gloves, it might give free him up to, you know, have a batting place in the the Australian cricket team over the next. Oh, however long, because um, mm. you know, you, if you're holding down your spot as a batsman and a and a good fielder, he's got a good set of hands, so he could slide in at that slip. But in saying that, he's he's pretty quick and would probably get bored there and want to run around. So um, yeah, it's, I wouldn't put it past him. Three shield centuries at the back end of last summer. I mean, if he has a good good start to the year, and that's how important these shield opening rounds are going to be, aren't they? Mm. So there's five before that first test against India. Yeah. Every one of those games is going to be important because you know if you put a couple of scores together or take a couple of wickets, who knows? Well, Justin Langer has called for it, hasn't he? Um, you know, he said that there's opportunities, there's there's going to be spots that uh, they're over in the UAE, so you would say that if it's horses for courses and they've picked guys that they think can do a really good job in the UAE, not saying they can't when they come back to Australia, but, you know, if there's specific cases to, to pick some batters that can do well in the UAE and, and sort of subcontinental conditions, I guess, then there will be... Uh, some room for for guys to make some big hundreds, and that's what JL wants. He wants big hundreds, so you know it's all to play for in those opening rounds of the the Sheffield Shield. Another century maker, Jake Weatherall, 106 not out, 98 balls, 11 fours and four sixes against the Blues. Weatherall's been with the MPS program, working very closely with Chris Rogers, and Chris Rogers is very excited about the work he's done with Jake and his performances. I think he followed this 100 up with the Ducks. It just shows you how cricket can go sometimes. Yep, it's a cruel game. But he's been very impressive. He got that 100 in the BBL final last year. He's a player that looms as an all-format player at the highest level. Yep, he's certainly one that's um, that it's caught my eye over the last you know 12 to 18 months. That That... <laughs> The 100 that he got in the BBL final was spectacular and I caught a bit of the game the other night when he got 100 as well and he's very, very good square of the wicket. You know, those some of those cuts and and drives that he plays are, are just effortless. Um, he seems to have a lot of time and um, by all reports, he's, you know, a very hard worker as well and that, um, you know, he's got his head switched on. So it's always hard as a young batter coming through. You sort of, you've got to find a way to be able to not get too down when you're down and not too up when you're up because form is can be you know sort of temporary so you need to work it away to try and stay as consistent as you possibly can but if he does that then yeah you'd have to think that his name would be certainly one that's going to be mentioned in that that fold as well how hard is it for young batsmen coming through these days to be able to have a game that suits all three formats is it getting to the point now where players are going to still strive to represent Australia at all levels or is it time to write I'm only going to focus on limited over stuff or I'm just going to be a solid four day try and be a test batsman I think there's still skills that are transferable but I interestingly enough when you mentioned that the first thing that popped into my head was the comments by Joe Root about the way that T20 and social media has sort of shaped the way that um, test cricket's being played at the moment um, I thought I found those comments very interesting. You know, it was almost something along the lines of, um, you know, we're seeing that it's almost fast food cricket, if you like, isn't it? That, yeah. You know, guys are coming in and playing their shots regardless. So um, I think the skills are still transferable in each format, but I think it's becoming harder and harder to sustain. Um, so something's going to have to give for the longer formats, I think. Um, but there's still still room for purists. Um, you know, guys like Chris Rogers that just you know loved batting for days on end. 
Um, there's still still room for that. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one. I guess you look at the players that have done it well, and players like Warner, Steve Smith. I mean, Vera Coley. He could do a ten, ten, or a hundred, hundred, or any format. He'll adapt to it. And even guys like Josh Butler, who was really penciled in as a T20 and a 50 over player, but he came into that Test series and showed that he could knuckle down against India. And then when he needed to, he has the skills to really yeah. uh, throw the bat. Yeah, as as you mentioned, there's guys. You know, you've mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, they've mentioned five, six, seven guys there that they are can the do best it. in the world. Though, aren't they, they are. That's for that, a reason, I guess. Yeah, yeah. For, for a reason. That's right. So if you are a young cricketer, you you need to be looking to those guys to see what they're doing um, and try and get inside their heads a little bit because, as you said, they are the best in the world. Though, but I still it just goes to show it is possible. And these guys work extremely hard at their game uh, and are quite very smart and have a lot of cricket smarts as well. So. Yeah, it takes a lot to try and transfer those skills, but they are still fundamental skills of cricket. One player I'd love to see transfer his white ball skills into Test match cricket is Chris Lynn. He's back playing his first JLT Cup for a number of years, maybe five years or so. He's been extremely unlucky with shoulder injuries, and then when his shoulder's right, the calf goes or something. It's just one of those... He must have walked under a black cat or smashed a ladder or something. Uh, but he came back. Uh, he's captaining the Bulls. He got 70 against Tasmania, 65 balls. So a very sedate innings by Chris Lynn's standard, four fours. And just the four sixes, um, he looks like he's enjoying some running again. It doesn't seem like doing much running. But uh, great to see him back. And it bodes well because you'd have to think that the way the Australian team is set up at the moment, he... Is a must in the one-day team. You, you think that Australia are going to try and reverse their ODI record, which has been pretty poor in the past couple of years. Chris Lynn is a player that can do that, and pretty quickly. Yeah, he can. He can change a game very quickly, that's for sure. But uh, it is good to see him back. It's great to see him playing some cricket. Um, he is devastating. He's he's one of the hardest batsmen to, to bowl to when he's going because he can just hit it absolutely anywhere and miles as well. So you feel like you can bowl short at him. You can just get some on it and and get it around the corner for four, and then you think you can just bowl a Yorker, but somehow that disappears as well at times. So you know, to have him up and firing and fit is great for Australian cricket. And I, I do agree with you. I think there is room for Chris Lynn in the Australian setup. Um, where he bats, I think it's definitely got to be top three. Uh, but I think there's room. Uh, I'd love to see him keep scoring runs, though. I just, uh, you know, sometimes he can he can be a little bit inconsistent, but just has that wow factor that you go, wow, he's, if he has five or six games out of a World Cup or you know seven or eight games or whatever it is, then he's going to come off three or four times, you would think. So he's, he has to be one that's on the radar. I kind of think with Lynn, you just need him out there for time. You just needed to get him out there and go, if you bat 15 overs, <laughs> you're going to do the job. He's on 150. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> well, he'd be on heaps, wouldn't he? Because yeah. he, he he's just a natural run scorer and he does it so fast. If he's out there... If it's 10 overs, 15 overs, mm. he's almost done his job. And I guess, like you said, top three, if he's out there playing in a one day uh, when the field is up and he's exposed to, to two guys out, um, you know, he can score runs and score them quickly. Yeah, he could. I mean, you know, those fielding restrictions, if you've only got four out in that middle period, then you've only got two for the first 10. If he gets going, he could make, literally, he could make 150 in the first 20 overs, 15, <laughs> 20 overs. So. Um, that I think that's got to be the debate, and that's the carrot that the Australian selectors would think. If 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 we can pull something like that off, um, that'd be amazing. A lot of bo- a lot of batsmen here, Hasto. We'll get to some bowlers soon, but uh, Ben McDermott, Tasmania young gun. He had a pretty good white ball year last year. Didn't quite do so well 
in the four-day stuff. But he got 117 against the Bulls of 125 balls, 10 fours and a six. A young player who's got a really fascinating technique. I think he just really looks like he punches the ball. And in terms of clean strikers in the in the comp or in Australian cricket, he's got to be right up there. He is. He's definitely up there. He's with. The, he's up there with Finch and, and Lynn Warner. These types of guys. I think he's a super talent. I really do. You know, he caught everyone's excuse me attention uh, in the Renegades game. The game that Eddie had against the Renegades when he got a hundred off fifty odd balls and burst onto the scene but that's what he can do he's i think he's got a better understanding of where his game's at this year as well from all reports so i think that's a big tick if he can transfer that into the red ball format then as we were talking about it's quite hard but those skills are still transferable so he's got to figure out a way to do that but i think his white ball stuff's right up there in this country that's for sure you know i was speaking to him before the jlt cup and we touched on his shepherd shield season last year he only got the one half century and he's actually dropped after it. But uh, that's how good the Tassie Tigers were going last year. Uh, but he actually said that he needs to be more aggressive. He said that he wasn't being um, assertive enough. He, I think his strike rate was in the low 40s. And I think he was so set on staying out there and going almost the opposite of what he was doing against white ball stuff that he stopped playing attacking shots and half volleys that he'd normally try and cream for four he was letting them go to try and bat time so this summer look out I think he's going to try and be more expansive and aggressive for the Tigers and Shield cricket I hope so because that's one thing I think Aaron Finch has probably battled with over the last you know five years of his career is just trying to know the right balls and the right way to play in four day cricket Uh, I think he's got the balance right now um, but yeah, if Benny McDermott gets that sort of going, I think he can be he can be definitely one that Australia will look to in the future. Um, I, I really rate him that highly, so hopefully he gets a few runs tomorrow. I haven't put the mockers on him, but um, I think his game's in a really good spot at the moment. And if Aaron Finch does make his test debut over there in the UAE, we might have touched on it last week, but how do you want to see him play? Do you want to see him rein it back a little bit? But he's got all the shots in the book, doesn't he? So I guess... With Aaron, he can spend a lot of time with the crease and just pick and choose the balls that he absolutely can hit and then leave the rest. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd still like to see him be aggressive. I think he can score a lot of runs early when the ball's hard and new over there. So I do want to see him aggressive. He probably has to rein it in a fraction. Um, I don't want to see him trying to whack bowl, bowlers over their heads and get bowled in the first sort of five, ten overs. But um, I still think if the ball's there to be hit, it's in his strike zone. I think he needs to hit it. Um, but... Yeah, and and that's what we're talking about. We need it's really really tough. I've I find I found it really tough to get the balance right. Um, but when you are an attacking batsman, I still think you need to stick to your strengths. That's one probably aspect that might be overlooked in David Warner's career that he has been able to do that. Yeah. Is and he doesn't really play slogs, does he? He just plays no. good cricket shots. Um, yeah. and he's got a striker of eighty odd in Test match cricket, so yeah, exactly. Uh, he's he's found the balance. Uh, Simon Malenko, he's probably an unheralded player for the Tigers. Not in domestic cricket. I'm sure he's got a very high uh, and a great reputation and regard amongst his peers. But he got 50 off 29 balls uh, against Queensland and got him home chasing a score well above 300. He seems to just keep getting better every season. Let's hope he can keep putting some numbers on the board. Yeah, he's almost another one like a, a, a Daniel Sams type. He played a lot of a lot of grade cricket. Um, originally coming from from Queensland uh, down to Tasmania, so yeah, he he's one that's 
I've seen him do it a couple of times now and get some late order hitting and he's got a really sort of unusual area that he hits as well. It's sort of almost from anywhere from over cover to backward sort of point, almost like a really wide third man. And it can be hard to, to stop at times because he's quite good at flicking it through the legs if you if you do decide to change it up and go in at the stump. So he's got some really good weapons at the back end of, a, of an innings. Um, I've seen him do it a few times now. So um, he's quite got really good skills with the ball as well, swings it. Uh, he's opened the bowling a lot in, in shield stuff uh, for Tasmania. But he hasn't bowled too much in this, this JLT. He bowled a little bit, but... Um, yeah, he's, he's another one of those guys that just continues to come on leaps and bounds. You see it every year, don't you? If another guy gets gets a pre-season, has some good back-end um, performances from the previous year, then he can take some momentum into the next pre-season and then the JLT. So these guys are certainly doing that. They're undefeated for a reason, the Tattoo Tigers. Someone called them the... Uh Smoking or the yeah, surprise yeah, attack. That's right. I think I nearly got that one right. Well, on. well, there's still a few games left, but yep. Okay, let's talk some bowling. Nathan Coulton-Ole, three for 46 off 10 overs. Another guy that's been plagued by injury. Poor Coulton. Every time he gets on the park for a, for a good run, something happens. He might have a freak shoulder injury in the IPL or he does mm. a calf or a hamstring or something. One of these bowlers, when he's at his best, he is an international caliber bowler, that's for sure. Yep, he's a world-class uh, performer. He's proven it. Um, it's great to see him back. I mean, the biggest thing with injuries is trying to be able to get... You, you know, you're so disappointed and downhearted about getting injured again. You've worked so hard to get back, and then, you, you know, it keeps happening. So this time, I know he's worked extremely hard to get back again. This is no different, but it's great to see him back. Um, I think you've got to almost get into a mindset of just enjoying every game and take it as it is then if you're sort of on borrowed time, if you like, with injuries because it, you never know. If you've got an injury-prone body uh, like I had along along the journey, you just sort of, you've got to take every game as, as it comes and, and just enjoy it because, as I said, you, you never know. You might have keep having those freak injuries, but as far as Colts is concerned, he's, he's a world-class performer and... You know, if he's fit, he's he's one of those guys that have sort of, you know, he's almost in the big five, if you like, of, of Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark, Coulter, Pattinson. So, um, great to see him back. You'd have to think that he'd be in the reckoning for those one days against Africa and then the limited over stuff against India later on as well. Yeah, especially with a big summer coming up. I think there'll, there'll probably be a few of the quicks roll through at some stage during this year, and there's a whole host of them. Um, we'll probably mention a few in a bit, but... Yeah, I mean Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins are obviously our, our our three best at the moment, and it's going to be a huge summer. There's a lot of teams coming out, um, and these guys are going to need a rest at some stage. So guys like Coulter, Nile, Pattinson, if he's fit, um, you know, AJ Ty's a very good white ball performer. So there's a whole heap of young fast bowlers coming through, which is which is great signs for Australia. Just like Jackson Coleman, who's 26 years old, so not the youngest guy going around. However, he's only played eight limited overs games. Uh, he took five for 39 against the Blues at North Sydney Oval. And I spoke to him after the match, and he really credited the Cricket Australia 11 experience. He was there last year, played four games for then, and he said that there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on them. Being underdogs, mm. he said they could try things without really any repercussions. Yeah. And he's got some extra games under his belt. 
he then made the state squad, got a contract. Now he's playing for the Vixie. He's taken his first five-wicket haul. A left-armer seems to be able to do it all. He's a very promising um, prospect for the Vix. Yeah, another another one of those promising prospects that we've spoken about, which is good because it's so exciting for Australian cricket to see these guys. Um, I'm glad that he's said that his uh, Cricket Australia 11 experience was positive uh, and that, that sort of... Uh, it's not exactly an experiment, I guess, but that that sort of thing worked, and that's exactly what Cricket Australia wanted to get out of it: is bring some young guys on quicker than they might have um, gotten ex- exposure to some one-day domestic cricket. So um, I'm glad to see him him credit that. I was really impressed with him towards the back end of the Stars stuff. He got a bit of a crack last year, and and just being at mid on and and talking him through certain balls to bowl, and he, you know he was really good. He could execute the balls that we spoke about and, and he had some really good plans so um, he's another one with a bright future he had a little bit of a he had three years off playing cricket and he had a that's why his time trials almost you know the, probably the best in the country and he runs about a six six twenty or a 630 I think for a big guy it's pretty impressive but um, yeah he, he sort of had a couple of pre-seasons with St Kilda to try and make it in the AFL and didn't quite and he's, I think cricket's really glad to have him back Cameron White, 123. He's just an absolute run machine in the uh, JLT One Day Cup. He was a little bit scratchy early on, but once he uh, got his eye in, North Sydney Naval's a small ground and it is way too small for Cameron White. It is way too small. It's been way too small for Cameron White on a number of occasions as well. as his third century at North Sydney. So, oh, look, I've seen him play some great knocks over the years, but that was certainly one that was fantastic yesterday. He... He almost looked to me like he was in second gear most of the time. He just was so calculated and knew exactly what he needed to do and soak up that pressure early because there was a little bit more coverage of grass than we're used to at North Sydney Oval. So you know, for him to be able to recognise that um, just shows his experience and then he navigated his way. And then I think he really brought on Pete Hanscom out there as well. And that's another reason why you need to keep guys that have experience around your group in your team to be able to bring the other guys along with them and... Pete sort of struggled for his first 10 or 15 balls and you could see Cam come down to him, speak to him, you know, say it's okay, mate, just get your feet moving, all that sort of thing, and then bang, you know, he was away. So not only did he score the runs, but I think his leadership still in that team is, is very, very um, and good and relied upon heavily. I wanted to ask you about his leadership because I was listening to an interview from George Bailey not long ago. He spoke to... Um, Louis Cameron, and he was saying about his uh, under-19 campaign many years ago now. Not that George is very old, but you know, <laughs> probably 15 or so years ago now, probably more. And uh, Cameron White was the captain of that site, and mm. he said that Cameron White is one of the best captains he's ever played under. He just said he's tactical now, so the way he reads the game is mm. almost unparalleled. And George has been captained by some fantastic players, Smith, Clark, Ponting. Mm. For him to give Cameron White a rap like that, you've played under him a lot. Do you yeah. sort of agree with what Bales was saying? I do agree with Bales. Um, having played majority of my career under Cameron, I, I do agree with it. And I've said this in the past, that I credit a lot of my success to him because in the early days I was pretty pretty overawed and um, you know, I'd always run in and give him everything but he would then come to me and at mid uh, when he was at mid-off or at cover and um, you know he'd say just what we spoke about do your role try this ball try that ball I'd always been able to execute deliveries but not always think for myself at times so he would come over and, and, and definitely 
you know, tell me the right move to go about it. So I, I credit a lot of a lot of success that I've had in my career to him. Um, and I do I agree with Bales. He, I, just the way he speaks and reads the game out and the play, you can see it. He's almost four or five overs ahead of where where the game's at. So to have that on on your side, um, you know, is, is really good. And I, I do agree. He's, He's brilliant, and that's that's why I keep going on about it. But you need these guys to stay in the game because we need them to teach guys that are coming through as well. So it's great to see him still doing doing the business for the Vicks. How do you get a cricket brain like that? Is that just is it just completely natural, or is mm. it is there something? Because he was he was made captain so young, wasn't he? He was one of the youngest captains he was, in yeah. first class cricket yeah. in Australia ever. Yeah, and I think he struggled to for the first few years, but. Um, and he will admit that, but I think having been captain so early, um, and even in underage stuff, he he just had this real, real ability to be able to read the play and just he just lives and breathes it. I think he was so passionate about it. He speaks very well about AFL footy and you know anything that excites him. Fishing, he knows everything about fishing. He knows <laughs> everything about the horse racing. So. Anything he sort of does, he just he just soaks it all in, and I think he's just got that knack of being able to you know relay what he's actually seeing and and what he's feeling in the game. And you're right about having those senior players around. You look at some of the best performers in the past couple of years: Adam Voges, Michael Klinger, hmm. these kind of guys that have been fantastic um, servants of Australian cricket, yeah. and undoubtedly passed on their wisdom to the younger crop. Look at the way that the Western Australians are going now. I'm sure. The guys like Ashton Turner and Cartwright and Philippi and these type of guys mm. would have learned so much of Voges and Klinger and, and those uh, veterans in the squad. Yeah, and it's so important. And, you know, you just learn, learn, learn. These guys are not only their legends, but they've been around. You think of how many grounds they've been to, how many different types of surfaces they've played on, how many different bowlers they've faced. They've been there. They've done it all. They've seen it all they know and can teach these guys that are coming through what to expect and just give them a leg up and actually teach them the game because no matter what, I always used to sit in class and your teacher or your coach or anyone like that can tell you what to do, but unless there was a peer alongside you, I just never really soaked it in. So I just think if you're playing alongside these guys, then um, you know you, you tend to take a bit more information off them because you look up to them. They've been there. They've done it. They're your heroes. So we need to keep them involved. And at that point in their career, they know what works for them, right? I remember speaking to Bailey uh, before the season, and he waited till two weeks out before he started hitting the ball because he knows what he needs to do. He knows yeah. how to get ready. He knows where his strengths and weaknesses are. Exactly, and you know, or maybe that, he's just lazy. He, he might have been, <laughs> but in, even that in itself, he would have been at training every day, but he wouldn't have been hitting balls. So he's passing on knowledge to to the other guys. So that in itself speaks volumes. Last player on here is Sean Abbott. He took five for seventy. He's made in five wicket haul for the Blues, uh, a player that represented Australia back in twenty fourteen. He um, looks like he's somewhere back to his best. He's had, he's had a run, tough run with injuries as well, um, but I think if New South Wales are going to make a shake of this JLT cap, they might with a couple of inclusions. But Sean Abbott is one player that can really do the damage for them. He's been good. I was just going through some numbers before, and he's, he's been very well performed, as you said, over the last few years. So he's really now that senior bowler there for New South Wales, and um, they rely heavily on him. Um, one thing that's probably slipped a little bit is his batting. He's coming in at number 10 um, at the moment. So he's very good. He's, I think he's worked out what delivery to bowl when now. Um, I think that's half the battle 
trying to grow as a cricketer is just trying to know what fields you need to a slow ball leg cutter and what fields you need to a slow ball bouncer and what's the best field to for him to bowl to his Yorker to. Um, does he come wide of the crease and bowl his Yorker? All these sorts of different types of things that you need to think about. Um, he's just about got them under control, I think. So, you know, he, he'll be in for a big summer again. And, and as you said... I don't think it's panic stations for anyone, to be honest. The way this JLT set up, the mm. format, you can lose a game, every game in the in the rounds, and then win the tournament. You just have to put in three really good games at the back end. So there's no need for panic, but um, they can definitely turn it around, New South Wales. But Sean Abbott, as you said, he's going to be one of those guys that they need to call on heavily. All right, now let's look at our predictions, Hasto. From memory, and it was only a week ago, you suggested yep. that Victoria will make the final and Tasmania, the surprise packer, will meet them in it. Now, yes. the tournament has shifted a little bit. There are no more games in Queensland. The games over in Perth are finished. They're now in the eastern states. Uh, we've got games in Sydney at various grounds and then down at Junction Oval. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Victorian boys are going to get to play at home for the first time in feels like forever. Yep. Uh, and New South Wales have generally done quite well at home, although North yep. Sydney wasn't kind to them the other day. Uh, are you going to stick with your picks? Keeping in mind that the Blues, for instance, are likely to get Hazelwood and Cummins back. Mm. As I they're said, gonna, they're going to hand. They're going to hand. It's <laughs> it's tough one because if they get Cummins Hazelwood back um, and their batsmen start to fire, then they could come into it. So, it's, uh, but in saying that, I am going to stick uh, with my original uh, predictions. I think. I hopefully Tremaine can get back fit and he can come back into the Victorian side because I think he's been very good for them over the last few years as well and they need him. But I think Victoria and Tasmania will still play off in the final. It'll be a big game down at the Junction Oval on Wednesday when Victoria take on WA. Um, that'll that'll give me a bit more of an indication of where my yeah. prediction's at. But at this stage, the surprise packet call was pretty pretty good. <laughs> hopefully they keep on keep on going. Hey, so it's the marquee. We were talking about it. It's the marquee. It looks like they've been playing for three months already. It is the marquee. It's the tent. What a masterstroke that was as well. Having missed out, it's, it's a dangerous one because having missed out on practice games and having more time in the, on turf wickets is, I don't, I don't know. It was a gutsy call in my, yeah. my opinion. Um, but at the moment, it's working for them. So it, it's the right call. And they're doing this without James Faulkner, who yes. is a... Big loss. I mean, Big he's loss. a World Cup final player of the match. Yes. So you, there's not many of them floating around ever. So to lose a player of his calibre and exactly. still be uh, undefeated, mm. and I guess that's where guys like Malenko, Rogers, Clive yep. Rose have come in. And these, I mean, Clive Rose is uncontracted, so yeah. he's done exceptionally well. Yeah, and James Faulkner reminds me of that performance every time I see him as well. He's a World, <laughs> Cup winning, World Cup winning man of the match performer. But um, yeah, you're right to have him out. It just shows how much depth they have. I think that's crucial. If you're going to win tournaments, you need to have depth because if you pick up a couple of injuries along the way, you need guys that can come in and, and play just as good, if not you know, uh, as better than. So I think they're going to be good if they keep scoring runs. Um, Silk's been quite good for them as well. And, yep. you know, these sorts of guys have had quite a few seasons now, so they're not quite veterans, but they've, they've played a lot of cricket and they've been around. Malenko, Silk, McDermott's played a few seasons now and... George Bailey, Matty Wade, Jackson Bird are, are very almost veteran-like 
Um, and Aaron Summers, the big yeah, slinger. Summers, the big slinger. And then they throw in Riley Meredith, who's got some good pace, uh, can swing it as well. So there's a lot to like about the Tassie setup. I was thinking before this tournament started that it's one of the more even JLT Cups, given the big test squad over in the UAE. Yeah. Um, but just the way that sort of the domestic landscape is now, it just feels like... Any team on any day can win, uh, yep. except for the Blues, unfortunately, at this moment. But yeah, even yeah. still, they get a couple of key players back. They're going to be mightily hard to beat. Absolutely. And you look at the South Australian setup as well. They've got a very, very good we side. They've got barely a mentioned side. them, have we? Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, they've got some great young players. We mentioned Weatherall, Cooper Ferguson, um, Zampa. How good did Zampa bowl the other day? Yeah, absolutely brilliant. So, Wicked with his first ball. See, I yeah. think Moses paid him so much respect. He was playing for one that spun <laughs> at the whacker. It just slid yeah, through. We know that doesn't happen. So um, you might have treated him with a bit more respect. <laughs> but yeah, they're a good side. And, and I reckon you're right. I think the only one that I would have thought of that would, would have hurt before would be Queensland because it's ripped the heart, the, the nucleus out of their side. Basically, yeah. Ness is a huge loss. Renshaw, Kawaja. Um, and Marnus. Um, Which I think Nathan Lyon called loose bus change. Loose bus day. change, yeah. I've heard that <laughs> going around, Marnus loose bus change. But um, he's a good young player as well. But then I thought, you know, to throw Chris Lynn back into that mix uh, was, was probably not quite the evener, but it, it helped them. And they kept Burnsy too, didn't kept they? Kept Burns, so yeah. um, that sort of evened them back up. So, you know, everything's pretty even. So what's next for you? You've got a couple of games. You've got one more game in Sydney, then you're back down to Victoria. One more game in Sydney tomorrow. It was New South Wales versus Tasmania at uh, North Sydney under lights, which will be interesting. Um, and then back on the early flight to the Junction Oval to see the Vicks take on WA and calling that one on Fox again. So hopefully my commentary continue, continue to improve and um, you know keep learning off, off AB and um, BJ and, and those sorts of guys. So and I'm, develop... That signature, that trademark yes, of yours. That's right. I need to try and figure out a, a bit better questions ca- to ask. Just get a catchphrase or something. I need know? a catchphrase. I need something. It's, I don't really have... It can't be a Bill Laurie, but um, yeah, something along those lines. We'll figure it out anyway. It'll be good. So It's great to have you back on here, mate. Thanks, Sammy. Very good. That's it for this week's episode. Don't forget you can watch the JLT Cup on Fox Cricket and live and free on cricket.com. .au and the CA Live app. For all your cricket news, scores and video, head to cricket.com.au. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.